What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. It's the Jenny Hatch Show at Blogging Mothers Magazine, and I'm your host. Today, my special guest is Laura Shanley, the author of Unassisted Childbirth. This book was first published in 1994, and despite what my mother might claim, Laura is not the person who brainwashed me into getting into unassisted childbirth. I had trained to become a Bradley childbirth educator in 1989, and during that time I read about Pat Carter and her League of Empowered Women, which was a group of mothers who since the 40s and 50s had been giving birth alone. When I heard about her group, I determined then, back in 1989, that one day I would join that group of women. Five years later, after a C-section and a successful VBAC in the hospital with my third baby, Laura's book showed up at my local library. I went to the Meadows Library in Boulder, Colorado, frustrated and angry and upset by the way that my previous three births had gone in the hospital. When I read Laura's book, I realized that I could also have an unassisted birth. Laura had come to that library and autographed the book, and I just had a feeling that she was right there in my backyard. So on a leap of faith, and after spending the whole night reading the whole book, I looked in my phone book, the Boulder phone book, and there she was. I called her that day, and that day was the beginning of one of the most precious friendships of my life. For the past 22 years, Laura and I have supported and loved and helped each other as we have walked down this unassisted childbirth promotion path, as we've interfaced with various media and entities on the Internet who wanted nothing more than for us to just shut up and stop talking, uh, we have supported and loved each other through all of this. Laura Shanley, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jen. So great to be talking to you again. And God, it, when you're talking about being in the phone book, like, yeah, I was in the phone book and I had a phone, like a, <laughs> a landline. So, uh, yeah, but times have changed. But, yes, yeah, it's been a wonderful friendship and so, uh, so glad well, we met. We have some exciting news. The third edition of your book is out. I would love for you to tell all about where people can buy it and what it's meant to you to see this third edition of Unassisted Childbirth in print. Okay. Uh, Probably the best place would be Amazon. I'm not even sure. I probably should know this if it's available other places. I think it is, uh, but I know it's definitely available on Amazon. Um, I haven't really put it on my website to sell it myself, but I can if somebody wants to uh, write to me at, at Laura Shanley at Comcast.net. I can sell it, but I think probably the cheapest way for people to buy it is on Amazon. And what the reason that this is important to me is my book was published by an academic press in 1994, 
And at the time, they had a trade division. It was still an expensive book, but um, my publisher primarily works with libraries and universities, so it's always been an expensive book. They wanted me to do a 2012 edition, which I did, and they published a hardback for $40, although Amazon sells it a little bit cheaper. But um, this was something that I was really not happy about, and I really didn't have any choice in the matter as far as the price. And um, so I really dreamt of having a book that I could sell, um, that, that would be available to the general public. And because most people, you know, my book is always sold. It's always been in print, which is great. But, um, and libraries and universities uh, were buying it somewhat. But I wanted something that people could afford. And so a few years ago, they told me that I could uh, possibly buy, I could buy the rights. I don't own the rights to my book. Um, buy the rights in 2014. And I totally forgot about it because that was you know, years in the future. And then, uh, a friend, Sharon King, said something to me about my publishing my book, and I was like, wait a minute, it's 2014. So I wrote to them, and they sold me the rights, and I, it, I had a lot of technical problems with the book, uh, but I finally came out with it in February of this year, and now it, um, it, it's uh, around $15. And so it's just great to be able to have a book that, um, that most people can afford. And, you know, I took this to update it, put in uh, more recent studies and references to uh, more recent books and movies, and, and just kind of changed a few things. Um, I added more birth stories, and I've, I've kind of softened my views a little bit on, um, uh, I, I think I'd said in the original edition, you know, once you work through your problems, all fear of pain and problems vanishes. Um, or you know you, that you won't have any pain. You may have some pain, um, but I, I really don't think that birth has to be this excruciating experience. You know, so so I did soften my views a little bit in that way. Um, that you know, if you have a little bit of pain, it's okay, and um, it's it's you know we can deal with it. But uh, certainly, the more we understand fear and how it affects the body, the less um, pain we will have, and you know, fewer problems. And so, um, and I changed it a little bit as far as my parents um, when I wrote the book. I, you know, that was God in the early '90s, and now I have, um, I, I suppose, more understanding for my parents and their views. And I tried to make it a little bit kinder to them. Uh, I didn't see my family for 14 years, so, uh, but you know, now we have a good relationship, and. Um, so, um, but you know, my heart is is in this book once again, and. Uh, and I'm just uh, I'm thrilled to be able to to share it with people. And I heard that you were working on a French version with Michelle O'Donnell. Did you guys get that version finished? Well, what we did, um, a French company came to me a few years ago and asked if they could do a French edition. And the publisher knew uh, Michelle O'Donnell. And, and and talked to Michelle, and he actually volunteered to write a short. Uh, introduction, which was wonderful. So, uh, and then I asked him if we could also use that in uh, in the American uh, edition. So, and he said yes. So, uh, so that's wonderful because I love his work. And um, uh, so, yeah. So, in in both the French edition and in this one, there is a, a short intro by him. Wonderful. Well, let's go ahead. And for those who are listening to the show who have never heard of you, 
don't know anything about your book, could you give us the five-minute story of your journey? Okay. Uh, let's see if I can do it in five minutes. Um, uh, yeah, so I um, came across – I really was never interested in birth. I had kind of heard all the horror stories. And then um, – you know, I really didn't think much about having children. I think I just was, I, I know a lot of it was just my fear of birth. And then in, let's see, 1976, I met my husband-to-be, David, who is now my ex-husband. But uh, he had just read Grantley Dickreed's book, Childbirth Without Fear. And uh, Grantley Dickreed was uh, the sort of the, um, one of the founders of the natural birth movement. And so in his book, Childbirth Without Fear, he wrote that the majority of pain and problems in birth um, are due to fear, which triggers the fight-flight response, and fight-flight shuts down labor. Basically, you're telling your body that uh, you're in danger, now is the time to give birth. And so it shuts off the flow of birth hormones and turns on your stress hormones to try to get you out of this dangerous situation. And so babies get stuck and women have tremendous pain. And um, so if we can understand that our bodies have been designed beautifully for birth, uh, we can basically just step aside and allow our bodies to work, that the same loving, intelligent consciousness, God or whatever you want to call it, um, uh, has designed our bodies, knows how to grow an egg and a sperm into a human being, it knows how to complete the process, but we are triggering flight-fight, which is shutting it down, and, um, and so it has become this painful, dangerous ordeal. So this just made perfect sense to me. And around that same time, I also discovered books about uh, the power of the mind, how uh, our thoughts create our lives. And so I had read the Seth material. And, uh, and so uh, one day when I got together, so he, had, he gave me Childbirth Without Fear the night that we met, and I started reading it. And I remember feeling... Um, eternal feelings just started to surface. It's like as soon as I could alleviate some of that fear, then suddenly there were the maternal feelings and I wanted to have a baby. And so uh, David and I decided that, um, okay, if we believe that birth doesn't, you know, the birth is safe and relatively painless, that we can create this. I can create it. And so why have someone there? You know, if we bring in a, a midwife or a doctor, we're going to have to explain to them about why, you know, how I trust my body and I don't think I need help and I don't want any interference. And actually at that time I didn't realize just how bad birth had gotten in the hospital. Um, but I just, uh, I just felt like, no, I don't want, uh, I don't need help. And so we decided uh, to do it ourselves. And so, uh, and it was such a great experience that um, that I went on to have my other children that way too. And so, then I decided I've I've always been a writer, and um, and so I started writing about my experiences. And I wrote an article that I did not have an easy time getting published, but um, I got it published, and I sent that uh, to a book publisher whose catalog I had gotten in the mail. Um, they had published. I don't know how I even got on their mailing list, but they had published a book by Michelle O'Dont. And, um, and I looked at his book, 
and uh, and a couple other books that they published. They published uh, Nancy Wayner Cohen's books, Silent Knife and Open Season, um, which were the early books about VBAC. Nancy actually coined the term VBAC. And, um, and I thought, wow, these people are right up my birth canal, as we say in the birth business. And so I... Uh, I wrote to them and I said, I'm in the process of writing this book, which I didn't have one word on paper, but, uh, you know, would you be interested in publishing it? And they wrote back, yes, send us as much completed material as possible. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to write this thing. So I wrote it and I sent it and they published it. So, um, you know, it's basically all of the the research that I ended up doing, um, which came pretty much after my births. And I wrote of my experiences and and I put in birth stories. And then eventually I put up my website and I've just you know, continued to be fascinated by birth. I just love it. And it was just such a turning point for me. My births were just such wonderful experiences that I felt compelled. You know, I was like, I want to share this with the world. It's like this is, you know, these births changed my life and I want other women to, um, to have this same sort of experience and so I've been well, doing this it morning, time. I created a blog entry on my personal blog, JennyHatch.com, and I, I'm just posting the show there later today. But as I was preparing the post, I did all sorts of um, Google searches on all of the articles I could find where you have either been directly intervie- interviewed or referenced. And what struck me, Laura, was just how many dozens and dozens of mainstream magazines, newspapers, and online websites like ABC News have taken the time to interview. Have you ever cataloged all of your many, many interviews? I haven't. You've probably done more research into that now than I have. So, yeah, I don't have. uh... How many documentaries have you been featured in? I, I don't even know. Um, let's see, there was the British one. I, I don't know, to tell you the truth. I, I, there was A Clear Road to Birth, which was uh, a film I worked on with uh, Judy Seaman that came out in the late 90s. Um, and then, um, let's see, Outlaw Births, which was a British film and that was eventually sold to Discovery Health and renamed Free Birthing, I think. And I don't, I don't really know. I mean, those are the two major ones. But, um, you know, certainly then I've, I've done interviews. I mean, the media, I've gotten ignored in, in some ways. But, um, but I've also, you know, I've done some mainstream media. And, um, and, and I'd say I have been treated pretty well by the media, better than one would think. Um, but still, I would say, uh, you know, some of the TV shows I've done, um, I worked on, there was a Korean documentary. Now, that, okay, there's another one I thought of um, that I corresponded with the producer for a year. And uh, he came over here with a film crew. It was for Seoul uh, Television. And, uh, and then when all was said and done, I was in 15 seconds of it. And he cut me off in mid-sentence. And I was, what I was saying is that the majority of problems in birth are caused by interference from the mother's mind uh, and, or the assistant's hand, something along those lines. And as soon as I, he, he let me put in about, about the mother's mind, 
But as soon as I started talking about the medical community and, and how doctors and sometimes midwives can interfere with birth and actually make it more problematic, he cut me off. And I, that, has, that happened on a local TV in Denver, too, a few years ago. Mid-sentence, uh, cut me off. So um, the media has been pretty good about letting me talk about um, how fear affects the body. But when I really start getting into uh, what doctors and midwives or nurses sometimes uh, are doing, they're not so open to that. So that's been kind of a challenge. Well, I know as that as I question, sort of gave yeah. myself the assignment yeah. back in 94 of documenting the movement. And I had mm-hmm. really one goal, and that goal was to mainstream unassisted birth so that those mm. husbands and wives who wanted to have a family birth, and, and let's be clear what the definition of that type of a birth is, No professionals are invited into the family's home. There may be friends there or maybe even a doula, but no real um, medical sort of tracking or um, monitoring of the mother and the baby is going on. And so when I began documenting, and I have literally um, binders filled with things I've printed off the Internet, of debates and conversations that took place in various internet forums, uh, the various things that were written about us in midwifery today, and um, all of the controversy of the early days when um, it, it felt like we were being dissed by every every side from the midwives to the obstetricians. And then it really peaked in 2007 when the four major obstetrical societies the uh, OB-GYNs in America, who are called ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, Canada, Australia, and the UK, all came out with position papers and, and told us that we were, we were a danger and a threat to our children. And um, I had a lot of fun on my blog heckling and lampooning them for those position papers. But it really got a little bit more nerve-wracking around that time when some bloggers uh, started calling for us to be charged with manslaughter and locked up if one of our children should happen to die during a birth. And that's when I decided to kind of go on a one-woman campaign to stand up for rebirthing families. And so I just kind of monitored, and I had several search things on my Google ready to go so that if somebody was talking about us anywhere, I would be alerted, and then I would go in and defend us. And I even had a few friends say, what, what are you doing? You know, these people are nothing. We just, you know, let it go. And, and I, I can understand that. I understand many people just don't even want to engage. But I felt like it was important then and still now to stick up for ourselves a little bit and share some of the arguments uh, for husband wife birth. So, you know, like I said, that's what I considered my role in the movement. And then I, I organized the 2001 conference that we held here in Boulder, Colorado, that you were the keynote speaker, and then Janine Parati-Baker and her husband came and spoke as well. And that was a great memory, and the videos from that conference are still on my blog and on YouTube. Oh. Oh, nice. Yeah, I don't get, um, I don't really get involved in arguments anymore. I'm glad that you are, you know, that, you were following your heart and and doing that because that's that feels good to you. I eventually tired of 
arguments because I think um, not that I wouldn't get into something like that again if someone asked to do you know some sort of debate, but but I think it's hard to argue with you know it's like okay do you, if people that don't believe that there is any sort of a larger consciousness um, that has designed birth if they believe that it that it's just inherently dangerous um, then the whole basis of what my work you know of, of, that it that there is something that has designed women's bodies beautifully and we can trust that it's like how do you argue with someone who says no that doesn't exist and so you tend to go round and round and and so basically or you know people will bring out statistics from the 1980s of some um, religious group that didn't allow doctors at their births and um, occasionally a mother died and it's like well that's not really you know what what I'm talking about is it's sort of a a new but old approach to birth and um, in a way, it's what we've been doing forever, but now I feel like because a lot of people are beginning to understand how our thoughts affect our lives, then then there there's that new element that can make birth safer because I think people don't realize that 100 years ago, if uh, it was shameful to say the word leg in public. You know, there was a lot of shame around our sexuality uh, around our bodies, and certainly women who were pregnant were sequestered. You know, they they didn't get fresh air and sunshine because it was shameful to be seen pregnant. You know, you couldn't even in the 40s and 50s you couldn't say the word pregnant on TV. I remember when Lucille Ball was pregnant and on her show, and uh, you know she, they could say she was expecting. And so you know now, so people don't realize I think that these attitudes. Uh, when you are ashamed of your body, that it does affect your body and it does make birth more problematic. And so, um, so there are things that as our, our state of mind has changed, as our attitudes towards our body has changed, that our births will get better. That as you free yourself, I kind of focus on fear, shame, and guilt. But if you free yourself from fear, shame, of guilt, and guilt, birth will get better. It will be safer. It will be more enjoyable. So I think a lot of people try to point to, well, in the past, women were dying. Well, what were the attitudes about birth back then? What were the attitudes about women? Uh, what were they, and as Michelle O'Donnell points out, birth has been culturally interfered with for thousands of years. So you can't really use the argument of, well, in some of these tribal cultures, women and babies were dying. Well, what were they doing? You know, they were taking the babies away from the mothers after birth. They were giving them sometimes whale blubber and bread to eat, uh, depriving them of colostrum. Certainly the, a lot of tribal cultures lived in, um, you know, where there was poverty. So between the attitudes and the lack of food and clean water. So now I feel like we are in a, a unique situation now. We have, uh, certainly in this country for the most part, uh, we don't have that level of poverty and we have good food, we have clean water. And when we understand how our thoughts are affecting our bodies and the more accepting we are of our bodies, um, the more we are able to love and, and believe in ourselves and, and in some sort of a, a higher power, at least for me, um, that I never felt like I was alone. I felt like I did have that guidance and help from within. Um, then we can, you know, birth can be what it was originally designed to be, I believe, a, a fulfilling, safe, and easy uh, experience. Well, for me, and I totally agree with everything you just said, but for me, this has been a spiritual walk. 
1989, when I had my first baby, I was reading my Bible one day, and I came to the 24th chapter of Matthew. And in this chapter, Jesus' disciples come to him and say, you know, we know you came now, but we also know that you're going to come in the end times and return to the earth. Would you tell us what the conditions of the earth are going to be like when you show up in your glory? And so that whole chapter, Matthew 24, is Jesus talking about the conditions on earth when he returned. And in verse 19, he talks about how things will be very difficult for women who are pregnant. And as I read that verse of scripture, it felt like Heavenly Father was just pounding me on the head. And he said, Jenny, this is your generation. And then he told me he wanted me. And I mean, when I say told, I didn't hear a voice, but I felt in my heart that he wanted me to learn childbirth self-reliance, natural mothering, where I was not dependent on anyone to help me with any part of my mothering. And I remember it's so funny. The first thought that came into my mind was, I don't have time to go to medical school. I don't have time to become a doctor and learn the things that doctors know. I have this baby to take care of, which tells you the mindset that I was in as a young 21-year-old mother. But in the years that have come since that charge, when I literally felt called to learn these skills, it's been really interesting to watch how uncomfortable my decision to live free from the medical profession makes the other people in my life, family, friends, total strangers, they get very, very upset when they find out about my lifestyle choices. And my question to them is always, you know, why do you care? Like, you know, yeah. what do you care how I give birth? But they do. They right. really do care how we give birth and how right. we live our lives. And, and it's unfortunate because I don't care what they do. I don't want to come right. into their realm mm-hmm. and say, oh, what you're doing right now is dangerous to your child. So if your child dies, you should probably go to jail for, you know, neglect or, or being so brainwashed by the pharmaceutical industry. I don't say that to these people, but they feel right. a complete liberty to start tossing around ideas like I should have my children taken away mm-hmm. or I should be locked up and the key thrown away or, you know, they use all sorts of crazy hyperbole on the Internet when they're talking to me. And, and it's so interesting to me that they always seem to go to that, you are not fit to be a mother mm-hmm. because you've made these choices. Right, right. And I think, and I talk about this a little bit in, in my book, that, um, I mean, I, I guess I would consider myself a feminist in the way I define a feminist, which may be different from what other people do. But to me, you know, my births were were empowering that I I believe I do have the right to give birth to my babies in however I want and and I do find it interesting that some of my harshest criticism or our harshest criticism has come from women who would say they're feminists and um and might uh you know say, believe in reproductive rights but not when it comes to the birth you know reproductive rights cannot be extended to the birth and I'm like why not? This is my body. I want to give birth this way. I have done my research. I believe this is the safest way for me and my baby. Um, you know, certainly you look in the hospitals and, and uh, babies, a baby is stillborn in an American hospital every 15 to 20 minutes. So giving birth in the hospital is no guarantee that a baby will survive 
um, you know, many accidents or, um, you know, there are many, many medical errors are happening in the hospital. And so I think, you know, it's my right as a human being to, to give birth the way I want. Um, and so I've been kind of um, disheartened that, uh, say, I'm trying to think who was it, um, uh, Mother Jones magazine had done a little blurb about me years ago, and they called me, um, or me and other people giving birth unassisted, amateur gynecologists, you know, who really don't know what we're doing. And it's like, why not stand up for my right as a human being, as a woman, to give birth the way that I want? This is, you know, it's my body, and I, and I, I know what I'm doing, and I believe I have this right. And, but like you said, I don't, um, I don't go and tell them, even though I've done my research, and I do believe that when you go into a hospital, you have a greater chance of something going wrong than, than if you stay home. But I'm not going to go out there and uh, tell people that you know, they shouldn't be allowed to give birth in the hospital. I mean, it's, it's their right, but, um, well, but this is my right. Well, I gave birth for the first time unassisted almost 20 years ago. And my son Andrew was born after a 44-week gestation. And he was an 11-pound baby when he was born. And sometimes bigger babies are a little bit slow to breathe. And so Paul and I panicked because we just couldn't get him revived in a timely way. And so we ended up transferring to the hospital. And what's really interesting about this birth story is um, the need that the medical people felt to put me in my place. I had just about every nurse in that hospital come into my room to tell me what an idiot I was. How could you have done this? You have insurance. Why did you stay home? If he just would have come to us for help, none of this would have happened, blah, 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 because they air flighted him down to a Denver NICU, and, and um, you know, it was, it was pretty traumatic. But the thing that really stuck with me from all of the condemnation was this one phrase that all of them, from the doctor, the emergency room doctor, down to the least little birth attendant, they all said, because he was slow to breathe, that Andrew was going to be a brain-damaged baby. It was like they were cursing me with this curse. This baby is going to be brain damaged. Oh, my gosh, brain damaged baby. He didn't breathe right away. He's brain damaged. And it was like they were almost trying to brainwash me. This is going to be the outcome of your poor choice, big bad mother. Mm -hmm. And what's been so funny as I've watched this child the past 20 years, he is my smartest child. Even his siblings acknowledge that nobody has a brain like Andrew's. And uh, scored a 35 on his ACT, earned a full, full right scholarship to his university of choice. He's right now serving a Mormon mission in Guatemala. But he is so smart and so, so great. Everybody who meets Andy, they're like, oh, my gosh, I love Andrew. He's the best person ever. And, you know, so I, would, I would say to those moms out there who are choosing to walk a different path, that when people around you curse you, and I think of it literally as a curse for you and your baby, oh, your child is going to be less than they would have been if you had gotten an epidural and bottle fed and given them vaccines and, and done all these crazy things, um, that that is a lie. When you mm-hmm. choose to take on these skills for yourself and um, give what you believe, and I believed back then and now that I gave my child the best start that he could have had. And 
keep walking, Mama. Do not listen yeah. to these naysayers. You know, I've always felt that that, to me, um, the biggest challenge when people say, what's the biggest challenge to having an unassisted birth? For me, the births themselves were supremely easy. Um, you know, I birth very easily and, and for the most part quickly. The biggest challenge is going against um, society, is giving birth in a, in a culture that believes birth is inherently dangerous and, and painful. And, and over the years, the letters I've gotten from people, um, it's so common, you know, my family thinks I'm nuts. Uh, my friends have abandoned me. Uh, and I think that, in a way, it's the biggest challenge, but it's also the greatest gift because it, in a, it sort of forces you to look within. And because you, in, now I think women have or couples have more support because of the Internet. You know, back when, uh, well, when you and I, and, and certainly with me giving birth for, for the first time in 1978, it's like people thought this was insane. Of course, almost a lot of them still do, but... Even in Boulder, which uh, is fairly open-minded, uh, I people thought, you know, you're crazy, and and so we did really kind of become. We sort of had to isolate ourselves. I mean, our family. My father's a physician, and so and my mother did medical research. My sister was a labor and delivery nurse, so you can imagine how they reacted. Um, but so many people have to deal with. Uh, the, this culture that tells them they're insane. And so it does sort of force you or encourage you to look within. But then when you do, that's when you find that there is some support there. And I'm not even saying, you know, now you, you're um, Mormon. I'm sort of a nothing. I was raised Jewish, but I don't really um, embrace organized religion in any way. I, I'm definitely a spiritual person, and I do believe in a larger consciousness. But um, even if you, you know, I've heard from people who are atheists. I mean, there's still, you don't necessarily have to believe in a larger consciousness, but there is some strength that you can tap into within yourself. And so when you're in a situation where you don't have the support of your community uh, or your family, your friends, some women, right, and they don't have the support of their partners, um, you, you look, it forces you to look within, but then when you look within, you see, oh, there is something there. It's just there's that same guidance that is guiding any animal that, you know, the cat that goes off to the closet and knows how to, uh, how to give birth and how to nurse. That guidance is there, and, and we can tap into it. And, you know, what it did for me, basically, is that um, once I tapped into that, once I discovered that sort of inner connection and that inner strength, then it has served me throughout my life. You know, I, it, was, it was unassisted childbirth really that, that first got me in touch with that. But then after that, it's like I realized, oh, and I also have guidance in other areas of my life. I can also tap into that in knowing how to raise my children. And, you know, there were things that I was doing back then that I eventually read were, were good to do, like, um, co-sleeping and long-term breastfeeding and not circumcising and not vaccinating, um, you know, from the research that I've done, you know, I believe those were all excellent choices. So, but back then I didn't have, um, you know, other people that were telling me to do those things. It just, but once I tapped into that inner guidance, that's what my inner guidance was telling me to do. And then eventually I saw the research and, you know, to support that. Well, there's one little story in one of your book in your book about 
um, John, I think, or maybe, yeah, it was John, he got you a glass of chocolate milk right after the birth. And my daughter, oh, yeah. Allison, just finished an athletic training program at her university where she was taught that the best thing you can do after a, he- a heavy-duty workout is to drink, drink chocolate milk. And they literally oh, have this on the sidelines for players for right after a, a game <laughs> to help them wow. renew. And I thought, there's Laura with her intuition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and I think that's that's the beauty of all this is that, you know, we're not really just talking about birth. We're talking about a sort of a different approach to, to life, to health, that, you know, we don't have to run to the authorities uh, for, you know, all these different things in our lives, that we do have inner natural resources that we can tap into for uh, our physical health and our emotional health. And that's, you know, that's really the message, I think. Uh, it's not Well, just I birth. have been friends with hundreds of unassisted birthing couples over the last 22 years, either as a childbirth teacher or just people I've met in chat rooms on the Internet in my day-to-day life. And one of the phenomenons that I've, I've noticed is that something happens in the seventh month of pregnancy, and both the mother and the father feel more comfortable and confident mm. about giving birth alone. There's some emotional shift that happens in the seventh oh. month. So as you're preparing early in your pregnancy and maybe feeling nervous, just know that that will probably kick in for you. And the other thing Mm -hmm. that I've really noticed with these couples is that when they push back all of that emotional rejection from family and friends, it gives them an opportunity to come closer together as partners. And for my husband, Paul, and I, birthing our last two babies alone after me doing my own prenatal care was probably the greatest thing that has brought us together as husband and wife than any other thing we've engaged in. And husband reluctance is a big part of the story. And I knew that early on. And so I wrote a book called Elijah Birth, How to Turn the Hearts of the Fathers. After conducting an online survey with a group of women who were all into unassisted birth. And this book is written specifically for fathers who are feeling reluctant to help their wives with their birth. And I hope that something in the pages of of that book will help the husbands out there who are just feeling lost, overwhelmed, confused. Oh, my wife wants to do this, but everybody's telling me it's crazy. What do I do? Um, I really tried to tap into the message from the other dads, and so that's why that book was written. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. Our time is winding down. I'd love for you to share your website and any place where people can contact you. I know you do one-on-one counseling with pregnant moms. Do you want to share some more information about that as well? Um, yeah. Well, uh, people can contact me at uh, through my website, unassistedchildbirth.com uh, or unassistedbirth.com, freebirth.com. Um, I have a Facebook page, facebook.com. Slash Laura Shanley. My email address is laurashanley at comcast.net. Uh, I have a Twitter account. I don't tweet very often. I still uh, need to learn about this uh, technology. But um, and as far as the counseling that I do, I don't give medical advice. And you know, I'm always very careful when people write to me. You know, well, do you think I should have an unassisted birth? It's like that's really a decision that each person needs to make for themselves. But what I do is I I help uh, women and sometimes couples 
Uh, I do phone counseling, and once in a while, if somebody's in the area, I do. I get together in person, and it's basically um, helping them work through any emotional blocks they might have, de- dealing with fears. Sometimes I just share my experiences and my research. You know, if people have uh, something that that really frightens them about birth, and you know, I have done, I have researched tribal birth, and I know that what a lot of people think is normal, um, you know, that say that babies and moms died, you know, left and right. No, that's not true, not in healthy cultures. Um, So some of the things I do are just to share the research that I've done and share stories. And sometimes, you know, just uh, one little fact can really um, help ease someone's fears. And and I don't necessarily limit myself to women who are uh, giving birth unassisted. Um, there are women who've, who've done counseling sessions with me who have given birth in the hospital. And I do think that, or with midwives, I do think that, um, you know, what my work is about is, is helping women to have a better birth regardless of where you are or who you're with. Obviously, for me, I felt unassisted birth was the best choice, and I do think it's the best choice for a lot of people. But um, so, yeah, so I work with women um, and or couples and... Uh, and also, they don't necessarily have to be pregnant. Just uh, I've also done work with a couple teachers who teach um, college professors who have taught about unassisted childbirth, and I uh, they've consulted with me. And I've and I also consult with, uh, like you said, documentary companies um, that are looking for information about this or looking to get in touch with couples who are giving birth this way. And so people can contact me. I do. Um, I'm, I charge $100 an hour, but I do have a sliding scale if someone can't afford, can't afford that. So, and I'm always just happy to share my knowledge of birth. Well, well, Shanley, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on and share your story. And I'm so excited about this less expensive book. I hope it goes far. I know there's a Kindle edition, right? So the Kindle edition is uh, for the earlier editions. They, I, my publisher would not sell me the electronic rights. So, um, but people can get the 1994 edition on Kindle for I think around fifteen dollars, or they can get the 2012 edition uh, either on Kindle or as an ebook. Um, and but that is expensive. It's probably forty dollars. Okay. Well, thank you again, Laura, for your time. I love you so yeah, much. Thanks, Jen. Love you, too. Have a great day, and I hope we connect soon. Okay, then. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.